On today's Show Me Institute podcast, Dr. Susan Pendergrass, Director of Research and Education Policy at the Show Me Institute, discusses school accountability and school choice across Missouri with Dr. James Scholes. Dr. Scholes is a distinguished fellow of education policy at the Show Me Institute, as well as assistant professor of educational leadership and policy studies at the University of Missouri, St. Louis. For more information about school choice in Missouri, visit showmeinstitute.org. Here's Dr. Susan Pendergrass and Dr. James Scholes. James, it's so great to be able to talk to you this morning because you've been writing lots of cool, thought-provoking pieces recently. And um, sometimes I think it's great to sit and talk through them a little bit because people read them and maybe don't, you know, totally get your, per- you know, the perspective behind them. So I'm glad that you are joining us this morning to talk through those pieces. In particular, I want to talk about one that you uh, posted last year on the 74 million, and it was one of their top nine posts of the yep. entire year. I mean, not to brag, but But yeah. I mean, that's pretty good, right? <laughs> Clearly, it, it made people think. And um, I really liked it because it was, I often get this question of, you know, charter schools take kids from mm-hmm. traditional public schools or private schools take kids from um, the public school system and they take the kids and they take the money. Right. And so I liked how you addressed that. So just a little background on what that piece said. That was the Walmart farmer's market piece. Yeah, yeah. Well, it, you set it up sort of exactly with what I was thinking about, too, that I ask, people ask me to like calculate fiscal notes or they want to know how much are charter schools costing public schools. And I mean, the whole premise of that assumes that the students belong to the school district. I mean, it assumes that they're theirs and uh, of a right ought to be theirs. Like, like they, they get them unless they you know, escape somehow to go to charter schools. And if they do, oh, woe is us. You know, it's going to cost the public schools something. And to me, I thought that's a, that's a ridiculous assumption. That's a ridiculous way to start. And so that's why I started the piece off by asking or, or you know, sort of phrasing it as, what would you say if someone asked you how much the local farmer's market cost Walmart? I mean, it's just absurd, right? It's right. just ridiculous to say, well, oh, it's not fair. Th- those customers belong at Walmart and the, the farmer's market comes in, you know, doing something different, offering something unique, and now and they don't even have the same rules that apply to them. Uh, and and now the students are leaving, and now Walmart's losing money. That's a ridiculous place to start, and yet that's where our ed policy discussions around charter schools and finance always start. And so that's where I, that's where I came from when I was looking at that piece. Right, because um, we definitely talk at the Show Me Institute about being free market think tank, and sometimes people will, in addition to that, say, well, you think of kids as widgets. And kids are just a thing, you know, like you can't apply free market policy to education because kids aren't widgets. Right. But the point is more like to me, um, if every parent chose where the child went to school and every school had to fill their seats, then I think as a system, we'd see much higher levels of output in terms of the education being created by the system rather than Walmart like automatically gets the kids because they've got the cheapest prices. I mean, if a gallon of milk's cheaper at Walmart, that's where you should any reasonable person would go to Walmart, right? Right. Uh, Walmart competes all the time, right? With all sorts of other stores, with online services now, and they're constantly innovating, constantly trying to improve. And not that we want to, there are plenty of people who hate Walmart out there. So not that we want to emulate everything that Walmart's doing, but it's undeniable that the market keeps improving and delivering us better and better services. But the way that we've structured public education is the opposite. The way that we've structured public education is, is anti-free market. It is that you are residentially assigned to go to a certain school. And 
if you live in this neighborhood, your butt belongs in that seat in that school. Right. And that is ridiculous. Like that, that we should assume that a kid belongs to a school, regardless of how good they are, regardless of how terrible they are, that they have to go there. And then every time a student leaves that they cost the district something is the wrong mindset. And that's what I was trying to challenge in this piece, that the only way that you could calculate how much charter schools cost districts is is to have this assumption. But of course, we know that any time a student leaves a district, it costs something, right? If a student moves to another school district, they move out of state. If they're, if they, uh, you know, for whatever reason, if they start homeschooling, any time that they kids leave, move around, right? Exactly, kids move around all the time, right? And, and so, why would we treat only school choice, only charter schools, as something different, and say that this is costing public school district? That's it, it's the kids don't belong to public schools, right? right. And and we pay taxes. To educate children. We don't pay taxes to prop up school districts. That's not the purpose of it, right? So the reason that you and I agree and sort of society agrees uh, that we should fund public education is because we want to educate kids, not because we want to support a, a specific school district or, you know, a specific uh, or, uh, teacher's union or whatever it is, right? The, and when we get to that point that the goal is to educate kids, doesn't matter if they're in a charter school or they're in a, a traditional public school right what matters is that kids are getting a quality education and i think the better way to do that is through the free market through choice and competition allowing people to choose and so that's why i was trying to change yeah. the, the framework in that piece well i know i've got three kids you've got four kids mm -hmm. I, when you're in the thick and throes of this it means a lot to you that you get up every morning and you feel good about where your child's going to school and my kids were in a traditional public school district with the circle drawn around the elementary school that included my neighborhood. And then about, I don't know, five years into it, they redrew the circle and my neighborhood went to a different circle. Mm. And I've never felt less empowered as a parent to say, I know you love your school and your teachers, but you're not going to go there anymore because they redrew the lines. And that is like the opposite of competition, right? right? That is like distributing monopolies in the way that most benefits the system. And how can that be good? Yeah, exactly. Well, I, I'm zoned for So when I moved to St. Louis, uh, we had two, three kids at the time. And so we started looking around for, for school districts and, and using state test scores. I identified the school districts that I said, these are good enough to live in. And then within those, I found uh, the, the schools that I might be zoned to that I thought would be good and, and chose a house based on these you know, publicly available data. We get into the school district, and again, we're in a the fastest growing school district in the state of the Missouri. We are in a school district that everyone says is really good, and it turns out we don't really like it. Yeah. You know, we yeah. we don't like it that much. I mean, the we had problems with the way they were teaching students to read, how they're teaching spelling, how they're teaching math, all sorts of things that we had concerns with, and we felt like our son wasn't getting the attention that he he needed to, to stay on task and all sorts of things. You've got four kids, presumably, that are each individuals. Right, exactly. They're all different from each right. other even, right? Right. So so we have four, the f older three are in school. The, the youngest is four, so he's not public school age yet. But our oldest, who's, who was in seventh grade, we ended up pulling him out because he was failing almost everything. A smart kid. Okay, he went from two years earlier testing as advanced in all the state tests to failing everything. Right, and and when we talked to the school, they they didn't have a good way to help him. Basically, they said, "Well, he just needs to do his work." And we're like, "No, duh, we know he needs to yeah, do his work." Right. And so we've been telling him, but we can't figure this out because nothing's coming home. We had all these communication problems, and nothing was changing. So we pull him out. Daughter's still in public school. She still is today. And our first grader was still in public school. 
And we went to their curriculum night where they talk about what the kids are going to be learning. This is how we're going to be teaching them. And, and we had all kinds of concerns about what they were saying. But the straw that sort of broke the camel's back was they asked if anybody had questions. And I, I raised my hand and I said, what's the best book that my first grader is going to read this year? Six teachers go down the line answering that question, all basically saying the same thing. that Lots of great stuff. <laughs> right. He's going to read so many books this year. He'll read so many books and it's whatever he likes. He might like books about dragons. He might like books about trucks or, you know, just he's just going to read everything and it's just going to be wonderful. I didn't like that answer. And so I went home and I, I so we ended up after we pulled our son out, we, our older son, we enrolled him in a classical uh, private school. And so I called up the principal there who has a child in first grade. And I said, before we start this conversation, I want to ask you a question. What is the best book my child will read in first grade this year? And she said, I'll take that one of two ways. What's the best book he could read? And what's the best book we'll read to him? And in terms of the best book that he could read, uh, by the end of the year, we'd like him to read some condensed Aesop's fables, these books with really rich moral tales, you know, books like uh, The Boy Who Cried Wolf. And in terms of what we're going to read, uh, we're going to read lots of great uh, children's literature like Charlotte's Web. And she listed off several more uh, since then, by the way, well, fast forward, we pulled him out and enrolled him in the, in the private school that we're paying for. That's a, a classical education model. We love this model. They've been reading portions of the Iliad to yeah. my first grade. Like he's he's reading the Iliad now. That's awesome. Right. In his public school, the best book that they told me he was going to read might have been about dump trucks. Right. right. right? And right. now he's reading some of the greatest literature of, of Western civilization and he's being exposed to it in first grade. Right. So this has nothing to do about um, the the well this is in the traditional public school, which is fully accredited, everyone says is great. They're not offering the type of education that I want. Sure. Right? And so now I'm able to pull my kids out, put them somewhere else, if I'm willing to pay an you know, exorbitant amount of money to do it. And not everyone has that that ability. And so that's why I, that's one of the reasons I'm such a proponent of school choice. It's not just about failing schools. Mm -hmm. It's partly like we don't want yeah. kids to be trapped in failing schools, but we also want families to have some agency in their child's education to be able to choose the type of education that fits with their values and their vision of quality. The majority of parents have limited time and resources to figuring this out, right? Mm -hmm. And it's hard. And so you kind of have this expectation that the school will approach them with the information they need. And I think that that's generally not been the case. And your second piece I want to talk about, I think, gets at the fact that parents are sort of losing ground when it comes to find out finding out what's happening in the school building or being able to have an influence on that. Is that right? Yeah. yeah. You find out how your kids are doing or your parents find out how you're doing by sort of your your tests, your daily assignments yeah. that come home graded, your graded work, essentially, parents find out. So this is how ridiculous accountability has gotten. So in my school district, and I think lots of school districts are like this, they no longer send home tests. So parents have no idea how their kids are doing on tests. And the reason for not doing that is because they want to use these tests as common assessments each year. And so uh, they're afraid <laughs> that little Johnny in third grade this year selling it on will, the street will, corner. Yeah, we'll we'll keep his test, sell it on the street corner to the highest yeah. bidder next year. Like, how ridiculous have we gotten that that we can't even send home tests, classroom tests for parents to look at to see how their kids are doing, because we're afraid that it's going to compromise our testing strategies. Our test like this is this is how crazy things have gotten in public schools that hardly any information in lots of places comes home. 
So, so there's more <laughs> testing happening, but less information right. being transmitted. Right. So, and that's that's on the classroom assessments. That on the classroom assessments, those things aren't coming home. And then also in terms of the state standardized test. Now this is different by state, but if you were to look at Missouri, our public our tests that the the state gives provide no information to parents. What is the scale? I don't have no idea. It's triple digits. I'm not, I you get like 473. Right, my or, kid comes home with an assessment or a test, you know, uh, halfway through the following school year, right? Like so yeah. they take it one year and then it comes the next year. Yeah. And uh, my kid has a you know, 338. Nice. I have no idea. Yes. <laughs> yes. We got there. Way to go. Like, <laughs> that's three times as good as 100, right? So, yeah. so it has no relevance, no meaning. They've, it, it maybe other places aren't like this. Maybe I'm, maybe it's just Missouri, but there's no percentile rank. You know, when I was a child in the 80s, my parents got a test that said, here's your state percentile rank here's your national or your local percentile rank was how well i did compared to other kids in my district then you had a state percentile rank and a national percentile rank and i could see how well i was doing now all we get from the state is this crazy number that doesn't mean anything and we get which bucket we fall into are you proficient or advanced or basic or below basic that's all you get do you think it's nefarious at all do you think that they're clouding it up just sort of like we are the keepers of the information i mean I do think other states provide information to parents that's way more transparent, right. and um, certainly on the on the on the student, but also on the school. Uh, Eleven or twelve states use letter grades. Other states use stars or color. I mean, Missouri is extremely um, not forthcoming when it comes to telling parents how schools are doing. As you know, every district in the state basically is fully accredited, which mm-hmm. tells you nothing, in my opinion. Right. So. So what do you think Missouri could do better than to let parents know about how the kid's school is doing? Oh, there's there's a lot that they're doing. So I think this goes back to sort of the premise that we were talking about a moment ago, <laughs> that um, if we want parents to choose, we want them to be involved in their child's education, that we want to give them some useful information, right? Sure. And so schools aren't doing it. At least many schools aren't. I don't want to blame every school, but many schools aren't doing it. And the state's information is incomprehensible. And so what should they be doing? Well, one thing they should do, like this is... This is, for me, the basic role of state departments of education. The basic role should be to provide accurate and useful information because they're the only agency that really can. I mean, they're, they're, they have access to all of the data. Right. And private companies don't have access to that. The public doesn't have access. They do. So the districts <laughs> pick the curriculum. The state doesn't do that. Right. Like, I don't think people understand, like, what does the State Department of Education do? That's it. They pick the test, right? (laughs) Right. They pick the test and then they get the results. Right. And they should publish it. They should they should let people know how schools are doing and not just achievement. We do care about achievement, but they should also be letting us know how how schools are doing in terms of growth. Right. These types of measures should be transparent. And instead, we get some crazy uh, crazy APR score, annual performance report score that doesn't make any sense to anybody. We have no useful information, and and that's to me again a basic function of state departments of education. And uh, they're working on the next version of this MSIP six. I have no, I have very little optimism that's going to be any better than MSIP five or four three two one because it's similar. They're going to keep using these five indicators. Don't even get me started. It's a two hundred and ten point scale, and you only need eighty four points for an A. So everyone got an A. Yeah. And then districts aren't necessarily good at it because St. Louis Public Schools put big banners on every school saying fully accredited, even though 
schools aren't accredited. So yeah. what's a parent to do? Here, here's here's the problem with how states try to handle this, in my opinion. Here, how Missouri's Department of Elementary and Secondary Education, DESE, tries to handle it. The, the problem with these uh, annual performance reports, or MSIP, Missouri School Improvement Programs, the reason that they are so clouded, that they are so incomprehensible, is because they're trying to use those as a lever for reform or for improvement. So because they're using that as a stick to hold schools accountable, well, now you have pressure from the schools to to make it easier. So what was the number you gave me a moment ago about the number of schools that were accredited in the state? Or 512 out of 518 are, districts. Are fully accredited, fully and accredited. then there are a handful of provisional. Five. And how many are unaccredited? One. So, uh, <laughs> and... And those districts that are scoring in the accredited range, you mentioned before to me that Ferguson Florissant had 3% of eighth graders score proficient or advanced or in math, yep. and, and they get a 92.5% on the APR. Right. But, Again, what's a parent to do with that? Right. You but, think it's fine. Right. right. <laughs> I mean, so, sounds good. Look, you got a 92%. You know, almost but, no one knows but, how to do math. So this is why I, my philosophy when it comes to state assessments is sunshine and shame. Sure. Right. So, so I think that states should be reporting this stuff and make sure it's in a way that people can access it and can understand it and not necessarily like it it should probably be tied to some sort of accountability system but it shouldn't be solely used for accountability purposes the reason that it gets clouded and that these uh, systems get changed is because they're trying to use them as levers for reform instead in of just telling us how much kids are learning yeah just tell us just yeah. let us know yeah and so put in place a system of transparency that allows people to see how well their school districts are performing and put in place greater choice programs. And I'll tell you what, that'd go a long way to solve accountability problems. Yeah, I think I've, I'm getting to the point where I'm being accused of being anti-DESI or anti-traditional public schools, neither of which is the case, or anti-teacher, definitely not the case. Um, I just think that parents who don't know, again, George Bush, if you don't measure it, you can't fix it. Parents who don't know how the schools are doing have no reason to question anything when they drop their kids off or their child gets off the bus. They're like, it must be fine. And we know across the state, uh, I think across the state, our proficiency rates dropped to like just below half in this last test because the last test was harder. And like half kids are, half of our students are proficient, half are not across the state. But there are pockets like Ferguson where like no one is proficient. And right. we have no way to know where those pockets are unless we're honest with ourselves about how these schools are doing. I mean, I think the state had to identify the lowest 5% of schools. They did. They haven't published that list for some reason. They're keeping that internal. But, you know, if we don't know where those are, how are we going to fix them? Right. You have to be transparent about these things. You yeah. have to let people know. And, and slapping banners on, on the side of school buildings that say fully accredited right. when, when the school has, you know, a, a fraction or a, a small percentage of people actually performing proficient or advanced is a disservice to people. So this to me is... Like I said, the, one of the fundamental things that State Departments of Education should do, and, and I think what they have done, if we want to look back sort of through history or, or, or what they're currently doing, what they have done is increasingly try to regulate everything. This is the second 74 right, piece yeah. that you mentioned, that they have put in place all sorts of regulations. So, you know, I'm a professor at a college of education, and we train teachers, and I work in the program that trains principals, and we have dictated to us basically – specific courses that teachers need to take 
or specific standards and content. So every program across the state is highly regulated in terms of what the teachers have to have to become certified. So we, we go through this process of determining what content we want to deliver to people to be certified. So we regulate that. And then we make those individuals pass tests, not just on content, but also on approved pedagogical practices, which to me is frustrating because I think there are lots of different ways that you could teach. We see all sure. kinds of different types of schools out there. We see Montessori schools with classical schools. You, you know, there's So that to me is troubling in itself. So we certify these teachers. Then we put in place all sorts of regulations on the public schools in terms of we, the, the standards that they have to teach, the tests that they, they have to administer, the hours that they have to go to school. Yeah. Right. There's All, a new bill like you can't open more than 10 days before Labor Day. Or right. so, so we regulate every aspect of this. We tell the, them the content that they have to teach to kids. And there'll be a debate, of course, between, oh, standards and curriculum. But the truth is the, they're highly related to sure. one another. Right. So we, we regulate all of that. And then we assign kids to schools. Right. So we, we do all these things. We have this most regulated system ever. And I don't think S has really changed that very much. So we have this regulated system with no parental control, no choice, no competition. And I think that's fundamentally the opposite of what we should be doing. Right? What we should be doing is allowing choices, allowing people to choose the school that, that is serving them well. And we should be providing clear information to families in terms of how schools are performing. And those are the two things that we're hand not doing. Hand in hand, right? right? Like you need both of those right. kind of hand in hand. And I always say like if you were just going to – like if you took this – most critical function of, of of a culture, which is educating the children to join the culture, you know, to join society as adults. If you were going to design that from the ground up, would you ever think of monopoly producers and uh, organized labor? Like that, to me, just is not the solution I ever would have come up with. It's not at all designed to produce excellence. Nope. Right? I mean, at, at most, if you wanted to talk about this as an accountability system, schools are accountable to do very, very minimal, <laughs> the, the, the least amount possible to improve student achievement. Like the, the bars are so low that, that it's ridiculous. And they're not going to lose their students. Right. And, they are captive. And even if they become unaccredited, which in Missouri we have a law that says if they're unaccredited, students can transfer their places, even then the state will try to undermine it and local districts will try to undermine it to limit students' possibilities. So, so what does that mean that you're accountable for, for, to the state board of education to, to be accredited when everyone's accredited, the bar is so low. I mean, that's not what we want for our public schools. I mean, that's not what we want for our own kids, right? right? I always have to bring this up because I feel like people forget about it too much. Several years ago, we launched this initiative. The state launched an initiative called the Top 10 by 2020, <laughs> right? That by 2020, with 11 all these- 11 months. <laughs> in 11 months or not, yeah. But it was several years ago back then. Yeah. By 2020, we would be- uh, or top 10 by 2020, we'd be in the top 10 states in terms of the NATE performance and other measures uh, in, the, you know, in the country. We would be one of the best states in the country in terms of performance. So they put in place all these reforms. They tried to do all this top-down management. Or I say reforms. They tried to put in place all these rules and regulations. They increased certification requirements, you know, changed the tests for teachers. That, this is when they jumped at the Common Core. They did all, And so some of that's been changed a few times. But... They had this big, grandiose idea of what they would do through state regulation. And now here we are, 11 months away, and we haven't moved at all. Right? We are, not at all. We're at exactly where we were. We're stuck in the middle, uh, and, and we're not going anywhere, partly because you cannot mandate excellence from Jefferson City. That's right. It doesn't work. 
Right. <laughs> I mean, accountability to me is accountability to the parents of the kids in your school. Like that's accountability. Right. And a parent like you that's like, you know what? I don't accept that answer. I'm going to go elsewhere. You have that everywhere, and then you would really have accountability. Yeah. And this this is the problem with with people who oppose school choice, right? So there are people who oppose school choice who will say, well, that the public schools are accountable to the state. Well, we've just proved that they're not really, or right. we've just talked said that they weren't. And they'll say, well, they're, they're accountable to local parents and their school board. So I've tried now, unsuccessfully, twice, to get my schools to do something different, right? To change something because I didn't like the way they were teaching something or I wanted them to do something different. And, and they don't respond. They don't they don't respond to the individual parent. And so if my kid's in first grade and I want them to start, you know, foreign maybe language. explicit or foreign language, or if I want them to explicitly teach phonics instruction right? instead of doing sight word lists. And I want them to actually uh, work on phonemes and phonographs and all these sorts of things. What do I do? Well, so I could talk to the principal. I could talk to the teacher. And if, if they say, well, this is our district policy, and I talk to the district curriculum specialist, and they say, well, this is this is our strategy, or the state requires X, Y, and Z, or whatever it is, the, the way for me to get anything done is I somehow have to, in, you know, in my spare time with yeah. four kids and a full-time job, I've got to rally together a big group of families to then go to the school board and petition them for change. And maybe within a few years, I might get something done. Maybe. Right. Maybe. Yeah. But chances are I won't. And and oftentimes, what if it's not about the reading curriculum? What if it goes back to what I talked about earlier in terms of uh, in the type of content I want taught? You know, if I say, you know, I want uh, the teachers reading the Iliad to the students. Or like right. I, I want something specific in terms of content or some sort of, uh, you know, content that the teachers don't know about. I might get the board to change the practices, but then the teachers don't have the content knowledge to know how to teach it or to bring it into the classroom. So it doesn't matter what the district policy is if the teachers don't have the expertise to do that in the classroom. So what we're left with in terms of accountability in our public system is maybe a system that I might get some modest changes with massive amounts of effort and it might be years later that anything actually gets done. And so what's my alternative? Well, I'm able to pull my kid out and put them in a private school, and mm-hmm. immediately I have the change that I want. Sure. Right? And, and I have that ability because I have a little bit of, of money. We're making – it's tight, but, yeah. we, but we've made sacrifices to make that happen. Most families can't do that. Sure. And so that's where school choice completely changes the dynamic. It makes it so that parents can hold their schools accountable and – they can have schools that are responsive to them. And if they're not, they have the ability to go someplace else where they're going to serve their needs. And I do think school choice does present the opportunity to change the teaching profession so that teachers could negotiate their own contracts and you wouldn't have to get you know, your, your 5,000 uh, colleagues to walk out with you in order for you to get a 5% <laughs> raise. You know, like you negotiate your own contracts, salaries and benefits. And if, if you got student loans, you could go for salary. You know, I think that I hope that we will one day get to that point as the teaching profession goes through the changes it's going through right now. But um, I do think school choice would be great for teachers. The, a question I've started asking teachers, you know, I was a teacher. I was a public school teacher. My wife was a public school teacher. I asked teachers, is the school that you're working in, if you could design a school, is that the school that you would want to work in? Like, is that what the school would look like if you had your your way and you talked, you know, Think about your instructional philosophy and the way that you would want things run. Is this the way you would do it? And I think what you find from most people is the answer is no. 
Gotcha. Most of them wouldn't structure the school this, this way. Most of them wouldn't handle things like they wouldn't use these instructional practices or they wouldn't use this testing regime or whatever it is. There are changes that they would like to make. And, and not that you get everything that you want in school mm. choice, but you do get options, right? And you could choose the types of schools yeah. that you want to work in. And, and this is, again, one of the things that frustrates me about public education is I feel like there is no, there, most schools don't have any coherent philosophy undergirding what they do. There's no identity around a school other than the name on the building, right? But then you look at the private sector, you look at charter schools, and you have schools that are, uh, Reggio Emilia, you have schools that are Montessori, that are classical academies, that are, you, you, the list could go on. There are so many wonderful philosophies out there mm -hmm. that now teachers could choose the type of school that they want to work at, just like as parents could choose the type of school that they want to send their kids to. We got a really cool charter school opening in St. Louis next fall, a middle school by two teachers, and it's going to be like um, personalized learning where everyone's going to have a coach. And some class time, but some like hanging out in different spaces time. And every day you're going to check in with your coach, your each kid to see like how are they progressing today and this week and this month. And it's going to be super personalized. And that's two teachers who, who two young male teachers who are starting that because they've got the energy and the ideas. Mm -hmm. And it sounds like, man, if I was in middle school, I'd want to <laughs> go there. You know what I mean? It's like a really cool idea behind it. And that that appeals to parents, not every parent. Well, Some that, parents, and that's and that's the thing about the market. Yeah. Right? When when you have markets, you get variety. Exactly. You get a variety of things, and that's again. I, I think that we've we've missold or we've we've used the wrong message for a few for a few decades to yeah. talk about school choice. And we've talked about school choice <clears throat> as a remedy for those bad failing schools, or we've talked about school choice as the way to increase student achievement. And again, I think that it's appropriate to talk about it in that context, but. It's so much more than that. School choice is about providing options and allowing people to find these schools and to create new schools. And, and I think it's exciting to see the innovation that's taking place in, char in the charter school sector and the types of schools that are sprouting up. But you only get that through a market. Thank you for listening to the Show Me Institute podcast. Find more at soundcloud.com slash showmeinstitute and subscribe to Show Me Institute podcast on Apple Podcasts. For more information about school choice and other free market ideas to move Missouri forward, visit showmeinstitute.org.